And I understand last night, Kelly, uh, Mom told me much about your message, and uh, you did talk about the heart, and it's kind of what, where we're going again this morning. Uh, this is part two uh, of A Heart After God. And uh, what I, I said last week in, in the introduction is, simply put, in its most simplest or basic understanding of what does it look like to have a heart after God, it's, it's to care about what God cares about. It's to love what God loves. It's to have the same priorities of God's heart. It's to feel what God feels. And uh, God wants us to have a heart after him. And it's amazing that we can. Uh, we can bear the reflection of the very nature or the very character of God in, in these hearts of ours. Uh, we can bear the reflection in the same way uh, that the moon uh, reflects the light of the sun. It has no glory or light of its own. So likewise, we have no glory or light of our own, but because of the juxtaposition of the sun and the moon, it can reflect the light. And, you know, we often say, boy, how bright the moon was tonight or, or you know, moonshine or, you know, so many other references to. But the fact of the matter is, is that it has no, it's borrowed. And so likewise, whatever, whatever we we can reflect from the heart of Christ is a reflection, really, of, of his love for others. And it's, and it's, and it's that desire that, <clears throat> excuse me, he wants to reproduce in us in this place. He will always have the preeminence. He will always be far above all else. He, he will always be uh, incomparable to, to anyone or anything else. Or as the scripture says, fairer than 10,000. And I'll add 10,000 times 10,000. We looked last week at David, and uh, we said that in both the Old Testament and the New Testament, God found David to be a man after his own heart. And what we said that is if we are ever going to become men and women who are after the heart of God, then it's going to be a discovery that it's all about grace. Grace is always amazing. Grace is always undeserved. Grace is, is always unearned. And, 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 and to see God give to us grace to, to provoke us and to enable us and to empower us to reflect his heart. Uh, it's not about works. It's not about righteous deeds that we have done. It's about being in that juxtaposition, being in that right relationship to Christ. And his, and his desire is to conform us to the image of God's Son. And, and so we're in, in that process right now. And David was a man who knew a lot about grace. He was, he was not only one who received grace, but he was also and became a, a very uh, gracious giver or a grace giver. But in addition to, to talking about David, we're taking the second track along the study of a man after God's own heart by, by looking at the greater David, by looking at uh, Jesus, who's called in Scripture the seed of David, the son of David. He's seen in Revelation 2 and 3 as having the keys of David. And so he's ascended to the throne of David. And so, and so we're, we're really looking at the king after God's own heart, the, 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 the quintessential man after God's own heart, the perfect son of God, son of man, who has, has come to model for us uh, in this relationship of grace and, and faith and mercy. But in Jesus, we have the best of both. And this is what's so amazing, that in Jesus, we have, we have the quintessential, the perfect man who is after the heart of God, 
but we also have in Jesus, very God, who is after the hearts of men. And what we said last week is that he is unrelent, unrelenting. He is, un, he, is, he is relentless in his pursuit of, of men and women like you and I so that, that we could say fully to him, my, heart's, my heart is yours, you know, uh, that we could surrender in that particular way. Before you answer the question, will you surrender your heart completely to him? Will you be able to say, my heart is yours? I want to I wanna just share this statement with you. You know, Jesus never, he never discouraged anybody from becoming a follower of his. But what he always did was, he was always honest and said, sit down first and count the cost of what it means to be one of my disciples. And, and this statement is a lot like that, Okay. So here's the statement I wanted to share with you this morning. If you want to have a heart after God, prepare to have your heart broken. If you want to have a heart after God, prepare to have your heart broken. Don't be surprised when your heart breaks. If you want to know what God feels, if you want to know what God cares about, if you want to know what God loves, then don't be surprised that your heart will break. I often say that we live in a broken world. And living in a broken world, it should not surprise us that our hearts should experience heartbreak in this life. But, you know, don't be afraid of that. And uh, don't fear what I'm about to share with you this morning, that your heart will break if you want to be a man or a woman after God's own heart. Because I tell you what, the Apostle Paul said this was his greatest ambition. It was to know Christ in the power of his resurrection, but also in the fellowship of his sufferings. And I believe that the fellowship of his sufferings that Paul was talking about was that suffering for the sake of righteousness, that that he might bear the marks of Christ, that, that, that he might be conformed to the image of God's Son. I don't know if it's ever occurred to you, but I want you to think about this with me this morning. If it's ever occurred to you, has anyone experienced a broken heart the way God has experienced a broken heart? Has anyone's heart been broken more than the creator, God, his heart is broken? I want you to think about the the insults that he's received, the character assassination, betrayal, uh, war in heaven. A third of the angels followed in a rebellion against the throne of God. Uh, Adam, his crown of creation, Vice region of, of, of planet Earth commits treason. God's goodness is often taken for granted. His generosity is ignored. He's ignored. His, his glory is given to creation instead of to the creator. Men worship the crea- creation instead of the creator. In our staff meeting the other day, I was sharing with the guys my theme for this morning's message. And I, and I said, I'm going to talk about if you want to have a heart after God, don't be surprised if your heart is broken. You know, prepare to have your heart broken. And Joey reminded me of a, of a quote from C.S. Lewis that I've shared on a couple of occasions. It's, it's worthy of sharing again, so I wanted to share that with you. C.S. Lewis writes this, To love at all is to be vulnerable. Love anything and your heart will be wrung and possibly broken. If you want to make sure of keeping it intact, you must give it to no one, not even an animal. Wrap it carefully round with hobbies and little luxuries. Avoid all entanglements. Lock it up safe in a casket or a coffin of your selfishness. But in that casket, 
safe, dark, motionless, airless. It will change. It will not be broken. It will become unbreakable, impenetrable, irredeemable. To love is to be vulnerable. And can you think of anyone who made themselves more vulnerable than the Son of God who literally died of a broken heart? The rupture of his heart, the issuing of the water and blood that came from his side was the proof that he literally died from a broken heart. In one of the Psalms, David experienced the emotional pain of a broken heart. And he writes, but there's a a messianic application to this verse. Let me share it with you. It's one of the messianic Psalms. Psalm 69, verse 20. It says, scorn has broken my heart and has left me helpless. I looked for sympathy, but there was none. For comforters, but I found none. And they put gall in my food and they gave me vinegar in my thirst or for my thirst. And we know that one of the seven sayings from the cross, Jesus said, I thirst. And when he said, I thirst, that the scripture might be fulfilled, they put a sponge that had been dipped in vinegar to his lips to drink. That the scripture might be fulfilled. You know, one of the most poignant chapters in, in, in the entire Bible uh, really begins uh, in uh, John chapter 13. It, it starts off this way. John says, Jesus, knowing that his time had come to go, to leave this world, to go back to his father, having loved his own, which was in the world, he loved them to the very end. The NIV says that Jesus began to show them the extent of his love. He began to show them the extent of his love by by what he was about to bear, by what he was about to endure. Jesus began to show the extent of his love. This is where the scripture says, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful to the point of dying. He felt the pressure of dying that it was crushing the very life out of him. And then he said to his disciples, he said, one of you tonight will betray me. And, and Peter encourages John to ask, who, who is it? And they all said amongst themselves, is it me? Is it me, Lord? Is it me? And, and Jesus told John, the one to whom I give this piece of bread to will be the one to betray me. And that was Judas. But you know, I thought about it, that, that even identifying Judas before he actually went ahead and betrayed Jesus was a sign of his selfless encouragement to his disciples because he wanted them to know, listen, that that everything was taking place according to the master's plan. Everything was happening for a reason. The Bible says that when the Passover supper had ended, Jesus took a towel and a basin and he began to wash the disciples' feet there in John chapter 13. He washed all of their feet, all 12 of them, including Judas, which makes it so ironic that Judas had clean feet. And this is a verse of scripture from the Psalms, Psalms 41, that Jesus applies to himself. And, and Jesus identifies himself with David in this verse. He says, even my close friend whom I trusted, who I shared my bread, has lifted up his heel against me. He's lifted up his heel against me. You know, the, the, the meaning of that is, is kind of curious. It's like, it's like he's walked away from me. He's turned his back. He's lifted his heel 
against me. It gives a whole new meaning to the expression, don't be a heel. If God's going to use you to reflect his glory, then as I'm saying this morning is don't be surprised if your heart will be broken. Disappointments happen in a broken world. Friends let us down, sometimes outside of their control. Sometimes, sometimes brother will betray brother. The love of many, the Bible says, will grow cold. Tell you what it will do. It will, number one, it will humble you. It will, secondly, it will just cause you to mellow out in so many different ways in, in life. And, 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 and the encouragement that you receive from God at that moment, you'll be able to encourage others who are going through the very same things. You see, if God's going to conform us to the image of his son, it doesn't come easily and it doesn't come cheaply. It comes through these difficulties, through the crucible of suffering. When it comes to betrayal, which is what basically we're talking about, excuse me, an enemy can't do this to you. An enemy can't betray you. An enemy doesn't get close enough to you. It's somebody who loves you that can only use that kind of a weapon against you. And again, here's another prophetic psalm, Psalm 55, verse 12. David is writing, he says, if an enemy were insulting me, I could endure it. If a foe were rising himself against me or raising himself against me, I could hide from him. But it is you, my companion, my close friend, with whom I once enjoyed sweet fellowship as we walked together to the house of God. I guess the axiom is true. You only hurt those that you love. In his book, The Angels Were Silent, Max Lucado says, that the word betray is only an eighth of an inch in the dictionary away from the word betroth, but it's a world apart. The weapon of betrayal can only be held in the hands of somebody that you love. He says, betrayal is mutiny. It's a violation of trust. It's an inside job. He says it's more than rejection. Rejection, rejection opens a wound, but betrayal pours in the salt. It's more than loneliness. Loneliness leaves you in the cold, but betrayal closes the door. He says it's more than scorn. Scorn plunges in the knife, but betrayal twists it and turns it. It's more than an insult. Insult attacks your pride, but betrayal breaks your heart. You know, one can only imagine or gasp at the fact that Jesus was weighed in the balances and found by Judas to be worth only 30 pieces of silver, 30 pieces of silver, the one whose worth, whose weightiness is beyond comparison, is sold for the price of a slave. You know, we sometimes think, Jesus, you knew this was happening. You knew this was going to happen before it happened. In fact, you even, you even said that way back in John chapter 6 that one of you was a devil and one of you would betray him. But you know what? It doesn't make it hurt any less because he knew it was coming. In fact, I think sometimes because we know something is coming, it hurts us even more. And in some cases, I think that God keeps this, the future secret from us and it's a blessing when he does. Judas comes and he gives Jesus the kiss 
of death, that kiss of betrayal. I want you to think about what that must have been like for Jesus. You see, I think that Jesus probably was the most tender-hearted human being that ever walked on planet Earth. I think he was the most sensitive in nature of men that ever lived. And so for you and I to, to, to sometimes experience this kind of pain of betrayal, you know, which, which one of us has not betrayed another? Which one of us has not, you know, let down a friend at some moment? Which, which one of us has not somehow experienced that we somehow have, have let somebody else down. And so we tamper, we tamper those feelings knowing that we ourselves have a fallen nature. But I think one of the statements that is used by both Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John is really telling. Because they say when they came to arrest Jesus, it says both Matthew, Mark, and Luke all say that Judas is described as one of the twelve. He's one of the 12. I, I think it magnifies the enormity of the crime. It's, it's because he's, he's not one of the Pharisees. He's not one of the temple guards. He's not one of the mob that came to arrest. He's not one of the soldiers. He's one of the 12. He's, he's, he's one of the guys. He's one of the staff. He's on the inside crowd who had a, a most intimate relationship with Jesus. And Jesus... Jesus, knowing that, even, even knowing that, did not, did not turn his face from him when Judas went to give him that kiss. Isn't that amazing that Jesus, I don't know, maybe he offered him the other cheek as well. And Judas came and greeted Jesus with that kiss. It may have been for several reasons. N- number one, as depicted in the, the movie, The Passion of the Christ, it was extremely dark, and it would have been dark in the garden that night of Gethsemane. So it was to identify Jesus. The soldiers probably didn't know what Jesus looked like, and they didn't want to make a mistake in the confusion of what might take place when they announced that they were there to arrest Jesus. Jesus had, had, had escaped from their, from their efforts at, at other times, and they didn't want Jesus to get, to get to escape on this occasion. And so the predetermined sign that this was, this was the, the one, this was Jesus of Nazareth, Judas comes and gives him that kiss. You know, isn't it amazing when you read the Gospel of John, they ask, are you Jesus of Nazareth? And when he says, I am, they fall down flat. They fall, they fall backwards. It's hard to estimate how many they came to arrest Jesus. Some say it was a cohort. It was as many as 600 soldiers that may have come to arrest Jesus. I don't know but it was definitely overkill because Jesus willingly surrendered himself. I think of the scripture in Proverbs 27, verse 6, about Judas, faithful are the wounds of a friend, but deceitful are the kisses of an enemy. And what was breaking his heart was not just the betrayal of of Judas, but everything on top of that. It was the denial of of Peter, the forsaking of the other disciples, and, and, and all of the experience that, that took place in that 36, 30-hour 30, 30 period of time until Jesus was crucified. Just think about it. Never had he ever been unfaithful or disloyal to anyone. I mean, the thought never even 
occurred to him or crossed his mind. He was always faithful. He never sinned either in word, thought, or deed. Think about it. But this was the beginning of the extent of his love that he was going to demonstrate. And, and that, that extent of his love would be in his battered body, beaten, and in his broken heart. We uh, can never forget the actual brutality that Jesus experienced in the crucifixion. Matthew 27, verse 26 says, he was scourged. And the weapon of choice was a, what's called a cat of nine tails. It was a, a whip with many various leather cords attached to it. And attached to that were these bits of sharp bone and metal pieces that were on the ends of these cords. They literally, men would literally die under the scourging. It's amazing how Jesus survived even the scourging of that. Then in verse 27, it says, they put a scarlet robe on him to mock him as the king of the Jews. They put a crown of thorns on his head. This was designed not only to intensify his pain, but again, it was to exacerbate the shame associated with crucifixion. In a previous series, I I shared with you what could be worse than the pain of the cross. And I said, I'm trying to wrap my own mind around the shame of the cross. Exponentially experienced to the broken heart was the shame that was associated with crucifixion. And in all these things at the hands of the soldiers, they were designed to do one thing, and that was to shame the Lord Jesus Christ. They placed a reed for a scepter in his hand, and again, a sign of mockery. They knelt down before him, hell, king of the Jews, and then, and then listen, they spat in his face. <clears throat> but in Matthew 27, verse 30, it, the literal interpretation of that is that they continually kept spitting in his face. Imagine, Charles Spurgeon shares a, something that I wanted to share with you. It's rather lengthy, so forgive me, but I, I just wanted you to get the full impact of this. He says, I want you to imagine, if you can, that the one who covers the heavens with splendor did not cover his face from spitting. He who binds the heavens with restraints was bound and blindfolded by the men he created. He whose face is as the brightness of the sun that shines in its strength was once repeatedly spit upon. Surely we shall need faith in heaven to believe this wondrous fact. Can it have been true that the glorious Son of God was jeered and jested at? I've once heard that there is no lack of faith in heaven, but I rather judge that we shall need as much faith to believe these things were done as the patriarchs had to believe that these things would be done. How shall I sit and gaze upon him and think that this dear face that was once profaned with spittle, when all heaven shall lie at his feet in awful silence and adoration, will it be possible that that once he was mocked? When angels from principalities and powers all roused to rapture in his praise, will it seem possible that once the most abject of men plucked out his beard? Will it not appear incredible that those sacred hands were once nailed to a gibbet 
and those cheeks should have been battered and bruised. We shall be quite certain of the fact, and yet we shall never cease to wonder. This was the extent of his love, that Jesus did this for us willingly. Custom was that at that moment, well, Matthew says they led him away to be crucified. But at at that moment when they led him away after the abuse of the soldiers, they would have compelled him to carry his cross. The cross would have been the cross beam, which probably weighed between 30 and 40 pounds. And it's no wonder that Jesus could not carry it because of everything that he had been through, the, 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 the tense and the stress that was taking place in the upper room, the betrayal, the abuse of the soldiers, the scourging, all of that. No wonder Jesus couldn't carry that. So they compelled a visitor from, from Cyrene named Simon to carry that cross beam. Uh, I read something Sam Storms wrote about Simon. He said, he said, in seeing Simon carrying the cross of Jesus to Calvary, we ought to see ourselves carrying the cross we justly deserve. He said, it is we who escorted Jesus to Calvary and nailed him to our cross. Might we not imagine ourselves in Simon's place, bearing the heavy load to Calvary, not knowing if the soldiers might decide to impale our bodies on it as well, only then to hear the voice of Jesus say, give it to me, friend. It's not for you to bear, but me to suffer. To hear Jesus say, give it to me, friend. This is what reflects the heart of God was one who was not only willing to have his heart broken, but he was one who was willing to forgive those who broke his heart. Listen, every time you and I experience something painful, every time you and I go through one of these experiences in our lives, and and they will happen, if we will reflect the heart of God, these things will happen, but they're opportunities. The opportunities for you to to move in the power of forgiveness. Having been forgiven, you are now required to forgive others. It is incumbent upon us to forgive just as Christ Jesus has forgiven us. Last, uh, last Saturday, family was at a, was at a wedding, and uh, uh, my little grandson, Luke, is five years old, I guess. Luke's five years old, right? Six. Luke's six years old. And uh, Luke had repeatedly gone up to the bar for uh, Shirley Temples. And uh, he said, this is like about his fifth Shirley Temple, right? And, and he, he says to the bartender, he says, this is the best day of my life. <laughs> and I, and it's some, this is the best day of my life. I think it's easy for us to, to remember the best days of our life, but more so probably the worst days of our life. For David, I think this was one such day that I want to just kind of quickly relate to you. It was the day that his own flesh and blood attempted a coup d'etat against the throne of David. Absalom, David's son, had won the hearts of the men of Israel and was now marching on Jerusalem with an army to kill his father, David. David packs up the house, packs up the family, and they they 
leave. He's barefooted. And he ironically, or not ironically, but, but typically, he, he goes down through the Kidron Valley through the same route that Jesus would have walked down from the upper room and into the Garden of Gethsemane. David takes that same route and looking back at the summit, this takes place. A man from the household of Saul, a relative of Saul, comes out and begins, begins to curse David, throwing rocks and throwing dirt and throwing rocks at David, cursing David and saying, David, God is punishing you because, because, of, because of, you're a murderer, you, because of the way you have treated the house of Saul, and nothing could be further from the truth. David was nothing but loyal to the house of Saul, to Jonathan, to Mephibosheth, his, Saul's grandson. And, and, and so he's cursing and he's throwing rocks at David at the most vulnerable moment in his life when, when it would have been easy for David to lash out in anger. Abishai was one of David's bodyguards and, 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 and he said to David, he said, my Lord, the king, he said, don't let this dead dog speak. To, why, do you, why do you let him speak to you this way? Let me, just give me the word and I'll take off his head. I could just see him right now with his sword drawn, ready to just, execute this man because of what he was doing. And David at that moment says, let him alone. Let him curse. It may be that God will have mercy upon me in this misery and will restore to me covenant blessings instead of curses. One of the things that we need to remember is that God's blessings, God's covenant blessings to us far greater than anything that man can do to us. Any of the curses that men may have toward us or, or their words or, 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 or their deeds can never be compared with the glory that awaits those of us that are in a relationship with Christ. At that moment, David reflected the man after God's own heart. One of the reasons why David was announced, I found David to be a man after my own heart. So Ephesians 4.32 says, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Neil Anderson in The Bondage Breaker writes this. He says, most of the ground that Satan gains in the lives of Christians is due to unforgiveness. Most of the grounds that Satan gains in the lives of of Christians is due to unforgiveness. And it's not hard to figure out why, because unforgiveness opens the door to bitterness and resentment and anger and even depression and despair. Nothing is more important than we walk in the power of forgiveness. That we walk not only receiving the forgiveness that God offers, but offer forgiveness even to those who break our hearts. Jackie Pullinger uh, is a missionary and a church planter in the city of Hong Kong. Uh, she wrote an autobiography called Chasing the Dragon. And she writes about one particular incident that happened early in her ministry. She met a young man by the name of Ping, who had at the age of 12 joined the Troads, I think that's how you pronounce it, Triads, which is the, the gang that... that, that uh, controlled the crime in, in Hong Kong. And she began to just showing kindness and showing 
the love of God and mercy to this young man. And he said to her, you better go away. Just get out of here. We're no good. Go find people that can appreciate what you're doing and be grateful for your kindness. We will only hurt you and exploit you and, and, and kick you around. But she refused to go. She kept showing him the love of God. He said, why do you stay? Why, why do you care? And she says, I care because Jesus Christ cares for me and cared for me. I didn't want him either, she says. But he didn't wait until I got good enough for him to want me. He died for me that while I was his hateful enemy, he loved me and he forgave me and he loves you too. He shouted back at him, no way. There's no way that he could love us. We rape and we kill and we steal and we stab. Nobody could love us. And Jackie began to explain, he doesn't love the things that you do but he loves the sinners and he'll forgive you if you come to him. At that, she says, Ping was shattered. He fell to the ground there, right there on the corner street. He received Christ as his savior. Not long after his conversion, a gang of of teenagers got him and they beat him mercilessly with bats. When his friends found out, they swore revenge on these kids. And he said, no, I don't want you to do that. He said, now I'm a Christian. I don't want to fight back. So here's the question. How could could you not fight back? How how could you come to such a place of transformation? The answer, I believe, is, is this. That Ping realized that Jesus Christ bore and absorbed the consequences of his sins. That Jesus Christ had his heart broken, but he was willing to forgive those who broke his heart. What I want you to leave with this morning, what I want you to know beyond the shadow of a doubt is that, is that one of the greatest ways that we can reflect the heart of God is by forgiving those who've broken our hearts. It doesn't come easy. You know, the, 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 there's another axiom that says to, 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 to err is human and to forgive is divine. Nobody's saying that that you can do this in your own strength, but you can do it with the grace of God. You can do it because you have been forgiven freely. You have received so freely give. And the grace of God and the power of God comes alongside of a person whose heart is broken and God comforts and God encourages and God heals the brokenhearted. That's one of the significant mission statements of Jesus, why he came. He came to heal the brokenhearted so that in the process, we are being made like unto Jesus, reflecting his heart, having no glory or light of our own, but reflecting the light and the glory of the person of Christ. Maybe you're here this morning and maybe you've never you've never been able to forgive somebody, maybe because you've never received forgiveness, but if you have received the forgiveness of Christ, then believe me, Jesus makes it possible to live his life through us so that we can forgive others, even those that have broken our hearts. Let's pray. Father, I thank you this morning that you not only encourage us to be men and women who have hearts after God, but you make it possible by the grace of God that we could say that I am what I am by the grace of God and his grace was at work in me effectively. 
So, Lord, I just pray this morning, if there's anyone here who's never received forgiveness, who's never made that conversation with you to, to exchange the, the consequences of their actions for the deeds, Jesus, that, that you bore to the cross in substitution, I pray that today, by the time they leave this place today, they will have that transaction. They'll receive the forgiveness of sins. And for those of us this morning who, who need to just release those who've wounded us and hurt us, I pray, Lord God, for the power and the grace to be able to do that. I pray that you'd come alongside of us and that you would help us to overcome any feelings of, of resentment or anger that we might have. Come and bring healing. Come and heal the broken hearts this morning, oh God. Because you are able, oh God. We turn our hearts over to you. So the question I, I, I asked earlier this morning, I asked you to wait before you would answer is, is, are you willing to say, my heart is yours? Are you willing to realize that he, he is relentlessly after your heart, but then having counted the cost, are you willing to say, God, my heart is yours? Let's just worship him this morning as we stand together.